to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and we are excited to be studying with you today in a lot of chapters. <laughs> Matthew 14 through 15, Mark 6 through 7, hey, John I was, 5 I was through getting 6. There. I was getting there. And just to report, we bought the Costco wagon. Thank you for your answers and for your help. I kind of won the argument. Well. Just saying. Anyway, (laughs) thanks for being along for our We're so grateful that we were able to share that time with all of you. So thank you for your input. (laughs) Um, So as we're recording this, um, there was an announcement made today that the seminary curriculum... Uh, is undergoing a a pretty significant realignment, recalendering, and to align seminary study with what's happening in uh, homes and in with the Come Follow Me curriculum. And uh, I've I've been thinking about this last couple of days, and and just have I'm just I'm thrilled. I I couldn't be more excited yeah. about something that's announced. And so what we wanted to do just briefly is uh, I want to mention what this isn't what this is and what it means for us in our own individual study and in our families. If you've got teenage kids that attend seminary, what this is going to mean for you going forward. So first, what it isn't. Um, This is not an abandonment of scripture study in seminary. However, we're going to focus a lot less on the story and the details and who went where and what happened here and what the five points of this are, and a lot more on what the doctrines and the principles are that will change students' lives. Now, many seminary teachers have already been focusing on this over the past couple of years, Um, but this is not an abandonment of teaching and studying the scriptures in seminary. It is an alignment with, uh, with individuals and families and with the will of, of God. Um, and so starting now in 2020, individuals will be studying the Book of Mormon. Families will be studying the Book of Mormon. Uh, youth will be studying the Book of Mormon in their church, in their Sunday meetings, and they'll be studying the Book of Mormon in seminary. Everything in their life throughout the week is going to be focused on this book and helping them gain a deeper testimony of it. In aligning all of this, what it's going to allow a youth to do is get deeper into what God is trying to say to them through this book, instead of trying to cover a breadth of scripture, instead of trying to read four chapters a day, they're going to read one. But as they read that, and as they review it in their family, and as they review it in seminary, and as they talk about it in church on Sunday, God's going to use this repetition to be able to talk to them repeatedly. I mean, we all know how often it takes, or how many promptings or feelings it takes for a message to get through to us. This is God's chance now to be able to say a message to a youth over and over and over again so that they have a chance to hear it and then act on it. And that they're hearing it through the scriptures. I like that you mentioned that the focus isn't being taken away from the scriptures. I mean, I love that we have this come follow me curriculum, but I think we can't forget that we are studying the New Testament. We're studying scriptures and the real purpose that we're here is to be learning in that way, in that deeper way from what the scriptures, what God is trying to teach us. You know, that's such a great point. And you mentioned deep learning, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, It's one thing that Commissioner Elder Clark has focused heavily on. So it's not an abandonment of scripture. It is an alignment. So what does this mean for you if you are a 
teenager. What does this mean for you if you're a parent of teenagers or if you're a teacher of teenagers in your ward? Well, the biggest thing it means is more action. Um, in the Doctrine and Covenants, in section 88, the Lord explains that there is um, a two ways of learning, learning by study and learning by faith. And we're commanded to do both. What learning by study is, this is the model that most of us are probably most familiar with. Learning by study means I'm reading something or listening something, listening to something, and from what I'm reading or what I'm listening to, I'm learning new information, insights that I didn't have before, I now have. Learning by faith is almost the reverse of it. Instead of something external teaching me something, I am acting and then that action is confirmed with learning. So a good example is prayer. I can study prayer in the scriptures. I can listen to general conference talks on prayer, but I don't really learn what prayer is like until I actually pray. So I can learn by study, but the power comes when I marry that learning by study with learning by faith, when I act, when I pray, when I try and improve my prayers, and when I talk about what's going on in my prayers with those that I love and care about. And so what this means for us and for anyone that's that's a parent of a teenager that's taking seminary is seminary is probably still, I mean, you've got for some seminary students, uh, you might have 270 minutes of seminary a week. Um, individuals and families probably aren't going to be able to spend that much time reading and studying the scriptures at home. You may, and that would be wonderful. But it's probably, seminary is probably still going to be the primary source of learning by study for these youth. What's significant about this change is that seminary cannot be, it's just not set up to be, the primary place for learning by faith. And so what that looks like is in seminary, we are going to focus much more on helping a student get to the depth of learning that enables them not just to know something and not even just to feel something, but be ready to act. A seminary lesson isn't going to le end now with a youth leaving saying, boy, I sure feel great about this topic. It's going to end with them saying, I've got to do something about this and I've got to do it today. Then they're going to come home to mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or whoever it is that's at home for them. And hopefully they're going to continue that learning by study in the scriptures, but they're going to start learning by faith. They're going to act and home is going to be that nexus where they take what they're studying and they're applying it. I, we, I couldn't be more excited about this announcement and what I think it will do for you. I think this is going to change the way that they experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, to start our study this week, I want to play a game with you, Krista. Oh, no. You ready? You didn't warn me about this. I know. So, um, I'm going to name a phobia, and oh. you have to tell me what the phobia is. Okay. Are you ready? I'm good at these. The first one's easy. It's phobophobia afraid of being afraid it is the fear of being <laughs> afraid yep i'm so good at this game already. okay i can't wait the next one is calligen calligenophobia um i had this one as a teenager oh i, I was gonna say i've since been healed because i'm married uh, to you uh I was going to say fear of calligraphy writing, but no. <laughs> then when you said that hint, I don't know. The fear of beautiful women. Oh, wait, you're not afraid of... No, because I'm married to one, so I have to be afraid of... Oh, I was going to... This one, ablutophobia. Afraid of being bloated. Nope, our sons have this fear. 
fear of fear of washing yourself fear of being clean (laughs) there you go that's true a shower no Mm -hmm. uh how about arachibutyrophobia well it has to do with a spider it does not oh because i know arachnophobia but the fear of having peanut butter stick to the roof of your mouth that is totally my fear there you go it's not really but Um, i can empathize with people that feel that way here's the point behind the dumb quiz (laughs) and the the title of this week in the come follow me curriculum is be not afraid and as i began studying this week one of the things that that popped out really quickly is how often that word afraid or its cousin word doubt and the antidote faith show up repeatedly in this study and what we want to do is i look at these individual stories at least a couple of them to start your study and look at fear and then faith so a couple of definitions to get us started number one The Greek word for fear, we know because the Greek word for fear is phobio. And it's the word from which phobia comes. Um, The definition, though, is interesting. It means to put to flight by terrifying away. It literally means to scare someone away from something. Uh, The definition of faith, the Greek word is pistis, which um, means at its its root confidence or trust. It's a contractual word. It means if I'm going to make a contract with you, you have given me something, uh, a a pistis, that I can have confidence in you, that I can trust you. Mm, What's interesting to me is how opposite those two are. The fear, phobio, means something has scared me so that I'm turning away. Pistis means something has emboldened me so that I'm turning back to or I'm turning to you. That's really cool to think about that learned behavior part of it Mm. because I've never thought of it that way but that we talk about faith as an action. We have to learn those those motions in order to to gain that confidence or the the opposite. As I studied these and as you studied we found a couple uh, of fears and you'll find many more in your study that weren't just relevant to the people we studied but are relevant to us as well and it's a great um study to be able to identify a fear in Peter or in Philip that I have, and then to see how the Savior responds to my fears. So the first one to start with is the one that's uh, that started the study for me, and that's uh, in Matthew chapter 14, Peter walking on the water. You'll remember the story. Um, this is right after the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus, after that, is distraught it's one of the few times in scriptures uh, in the new testament when you can actually see his his mourning and his sadness Um, and so he goes to be alone away from everyone even away from his disciples they go out on the sea and he comes to them in the middle of the night walking on the water uh, and calls out to them be not afraid it's me peter calls back to him and says lord if it's you tell me to come walk to you on the water and Jesus says, come. And I love this about Peter because he's this, I love the image of Peter being this eager, I'll do whatever it takes to get to Jesus kind of disciple. So he gets out of the boat and he starts to walk. Um, and then the faithful verse, starting in verse 30, well, starting in verse 29, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. 
and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? The fear in this, if I were to name Peter's phobia, um, it's, it says in the scriptures, the fear of the wind. Or if I'm naming it, I think it's the fear of external forces. It's the fear of the world. It's the fear that someone out there, something out there is going to blow me down or knock me over. And the minute that Peter takes his focus from the Savior and points it towards the, the, the environment, the things around him, he starts to sink. And I think similarly, we can maybe identify with that, that in the world that we live in, especially because it's so visible and so easy to see that our focus, when it's diverted to that, fills us with fear, with doubt, with worry, and with stress, and uh, similar to what Peter maybe experienced. I think that is such a real feeling. That's such a real emotion that we can all identify with, or I don't know if you call it an emotion, but I certainly know that that's something that we all experience. I know I felt that in ways where I know that I'm being told to do something and maybe I'm going ahead and doing it. But even then, as I'm doing it, I start to look around and say, wait, was that, was that a real thing? Well, you even, you were even talking about this yesterday in saying that you feel like you're being told to do so many things by so many different, I mean, whether it's podcasts oh, or Instagram good... or friends or family or whatever. Yeah. And so you've got all of these multiple wins pushing you in sometimes completely opposite different directions. That's true. We're even inundated. That is really what I was feeling yesterday was just that like, I have so many good ideas and good things, not good ideas that are coming from me necessarily, just these like, I'm overloaded with good things coming at me in these good voices that can even be distracting. If you're not focused on what the Savior is telling you to do and what you really need to do, which ah just brings you back to the idea of we need to take time to be with Jesus and look at him and spend time with him because otherwise, even if they're negative voices or maybe they're good voices, here they are coming at us all day long. Mm -hmm. So the solution to this um, in that verse 31 or at the end of verse 30, Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And I love my favorite word in the whole story is in verse 31, immediately Jesus reaches down and saves him. Um, at the moment when Peter's about to sink, he directs his focus back to the Savior, calls out to him, and immediately Jesus rescues him. Um, I think the cure to a fear of the wind or a, a fear of the world, a focus on the world, is the simple refocusing or recentering of that focus on the Savior. And, and how you do that, I mean, whether it's through scripture study or meaningful church service or, or, all, of those. or all of those things, <laughs> but to refocus on the Savior and maybe to tune out to some degree some of the winds that, that blow us. Um, as I was reading it, just barely it reminded me of the, um, the famous verse in James one five, which we love to quote, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraid not, and it shall be given him. But then verse six, for he that asketh, or for he that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Mm -hmm. And here's Peter, as soon as he loses his faith, he becomes driven by the wind and starts to sink. And if we want to stay upright, if we want to stay strong, we have to stay focused on the Savior. We can't lose that. And it's not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be that once we, we're looking at him, our eyes are locked on him and we're never going to leave it because that idea of that upward 
progress, even if we're moving upward, it's still this up and down wave I have in my mind picturing the scale of up and down, but gradually moving upward mm -hmm. because it takes a constant recentering on, on what our priorities yeah. are here. Yeah. Well, we can't let these, this block go by without talking about, of course, the, the loaves and the fishes and these beautiful stories of, of Christ performing a miracle that is just exciting to read about. And you'll notice that we had, and I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a quiz, Zach. Go. Ha. Huh. Take that. Well, I just, as we, I forgot to ask you about this before, but the feeding of the four and the five, maybe you notice that, mm. you know, these, these verses of, I don't know if there's a difference between them. They were, they're recorded. You'll notice they're recorded sometimes right after each other. Right. Um, and yeah, I was What's just curious. Uh, so it's, it's two different instances, two different instances. Uh, and we know that because the savior himself, uh, in Mark eight, I think it's a little bit later after he talks about the feeding of the 4,000 at the beginning of Mark 8. Later on, um, he's he references both. I think it's verses, oh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's 18, 20, 20, somewhere in there where he says, don't you remember when I fed the 5,000 with the five loaves? And then right after that he says, and don't you remember when I fed them the 4,000 with seven loaves? So the Savior references both mm -hmm. occasions. Um, there's been a lot of discussion on where they took place. Was one in one location, one another location, two different groups of people. Um, and there's there's maybe some backing there. But yeah, two different events. Um, and obviously something that made the Savior very well known and, and famous. Mm -hmm. um, but something that he, he did those two Which times. Which is another one of those, just going back to the miracles, the thoughts on the miracles is this seems really amazing. Another one of those of like, but to him... This is what he is, the creator. He's done this. Yeah. You know, I, I can't remember. Was it in a conference talk? Anyway, I just love that thought of this is something that's really simple to him. Mm -hmm. But one of the more, I guess, outward miracles right. that he performed. So anyway, we can't go far without talking about this one. So I'm reading in John chapter 6. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. And then Andrew, in the next verse, There's a lad here which have five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So here's the Savior saying, let's feed them. And then immediately, the phobia comes up. That idea of, we don't have enough. The fear of isn't not that a fear? Enough. The fear of not being enough. <laughs> and I like that that sequence that we see. Jesus is saying, "Okay, let's eat." Mm -hmm. He's telling them something to do, and instantly, isn't that how we feel sometimes? The first thought we have is, "Ah, I don't have enough. Mm -hmm. I can't be that." I, I think um, that that phrase from Andrew is always kind of haunting to me. Mm -hmm. We have this. I've got these five loaves and these two fishes, and. Uh, but what are they among so many? And I've, I've thought of times when I've been called to a calling when I felt, well, I, I do have this small ability, but how is that going to be able to answer the question or the needs of this many people? Or how, how is that small ability going to be able to do what's needed? Um, and I think that's Andrew's feeling. We have this little bit, but mm -hmm. there's no way that our little bit is going to be able to feed 5,000 
And then some. Yeah. So verse 10, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, a number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled the ba twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that they had eaten. So much goodness in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, even just that that idea of um, when they were filled, not only were the disciples filled that were at his work, but they were able to fill more people because they were doing what Jesus said, even though they had some doubts. Is that great? I'd have to find it, but the the line in the scriptures where where the Lord explains in his creation, in the world that he has made, there is enough and to spare to take care of all of his children. Now there's an imbalance of where that's given in the world. And so we have poverty in some place and extreme wealth in other places. But here's proof that when Jesus is at the helm, there is enough and to spare. They were not just satisfied, they were filled. And so I look at my abilities and say, I can't. I have this little bit. And Jesus looks at that little bit and says, I can take that little bit and make it worthy of 5,000 men plus women and children. Some estimates say that this is 20,000 people, not just 5,000. Oh, because that was just the 5,000 men right, that it right. says, right? Well, we have an excerpt from Sister Marriott who talks so beautifully on this subject that we're going to let you hear her say instead of us right now. Some may think they have failed too many times and feel too weak to change sinful acts or worldly desires of the heart. However, as covenant Israel, we don't just try and try on our own to change. If we earnestly appeal to God, He takes us as we are and makes us more than we ever imagined. Noted theologian Robert L. Millett writes of a healthy longing to improve, balanced with the spiritual assurance that in and through Jesus Christ we are going to make it. With such an understanding, we can honestly say to Heavenly Father, So trusting my all to thy tender care, and knowing thou lovest me, I'll do thy will with a heart sincere. I'll be what you want me to be. When we offer our broken heart to Jesus Christ, He accepts our offering. He takes us back. No matter what losses, wounds, and rejection we may have suffered, His grace and healing are mightier than all. Truly, yoked to the Savior, we can say with confidence, it will all work out. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The final event that we wanted to look at is at the end of John chapter 6. After this feeding of the 5,000, there's this moment when uh, Jesus has now swarmed with people. He's fed 5,000, well, 20,000 people in a miraculous way. And so now he has 20,000 disciples. Um, however, you get the sense, if you haven't already, you certainly get it in this study, that Jesus doesn't want hordes of people following him. His preferred way of ministry is one-on-one, -on -one, individually, to, to specific people. And so he teaches the bread of life sermon. 
where, among other things, this is verse 48 in chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which among which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Uh, that's a shock to anyone in the Jewish faith to to look at that incredible event in the Old Testament where manna came from heaven and say, yeah, but that only fed them physically. I am the bread of life that if you, it's a very similar thing that they said to the woman at the well, if you partake of this bread, you will never die. You'll be filled constantly. Verse 60, on hearing this, this sermon that he preaches, many of his disciples, many of the 20,000 said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Uh, and many leave. The fear I recognize here in this 20,000 though that leave is, uh, and it's maybe an ironic one, I first titled it fear of the future. They're not sure. What Jesus did for them first was provide for their present needs. He fed their present hunger. What he's saying now is that's not the most important thing. What the most important thing is that I can give you something that keeps you fed, spiritually fed from now and into the future. And it's that fear of the future that that drives them away. As I thought about it, though, I thought, you know what this is? This is they are afraid of faith. That's the irony. They are afraid mm -hmm. of putting their trust in this individual who's saying, you have to follow me a little bit. You have to go down this road with me before you'll start to see some of these end results. They're afraid of faith. And the response, of course, is they need to have faith through the fear. Um, there's one of my favorite quotes by President Packer, um, and similar things have been shared by others, but where he says, um, faith is that moment when you reach the edge of the light and you take that step into the darkness, um, not knowing at all where the step goes, but in that action of taking the step, you find that the way is lit ahead of you just a little bit. Now, to add to that, to make sure that it's appropriate, this isn't blind. Faith doesn't mean that we obey blindly. The reason why you're taking the step into the darkness is because you completely trust the person who told you to take the step. He has never led you wrong before. Every time he's told you to take a step, it has landed in the, in the right place. Um, and so when the Savior comes to us and gives us that instruction, that commandment, that's what it means to have faith. And that's what it means to have faith through fear, to look at the darkness and say, I have no idea of what that's going to be like, but because you told me to, Lord, I can take that step. Faith means confidence. This is something I think that is perfectly encapsulated in one of our favorite hymns, um, Lead Kindly Light. And maybe we'll just read. Um read the words. I would make Zach sing it, but... I would make you sing it since you've sung it in conference before. Oh, that's true. I'm kind of famous with you this song. very famous. But I can't sing very good. <laughs> Lead kindly light amidst the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. And here's what Zach was talking about here. The night is dark and I am far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see. The distant scene... One step enough for me. I was not ever thus, nor prayed that thou shouldst lead me on. I love to choose and see my path, but now lead thou me on. I love the garish day in spite of fears. 
pride ruled my will, remember not past years. So long thy power hath blessed me, sure it still will lead me on. Or moor and fen, or crag and torrent, till the night is gone, and with the morn those angel faces smile, which I have loved long since and lost a while. Doesn't that just explain it so well? As you were explaining it, I thought to myself, it's that idea of we have our path planned out, we have everything, and this song explains that, like, that was me, I was prideful, and here I was forgetting that I just need to ask, and one step is enough for me. I don't need to see the whole end. Hopefully that begins a great study for you. Whether you choose to focus on the fear or the faith or something else in this in this block, there's, there's a lot. So there's a lot much, here. Right. Um, but but hopefully your study does bring you faith and brings you that little bit of confidence so that you can focus yourself back on the Savior and feel stronger when the winds start to blow. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of our study, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. <laughs>